Good morning once again. What a special Sabbath. What a day of rejoicing and coming together in the Lord. Isn't it beautiful to just be gathered together as a family of believers, coming together, joining in the Sabbath? You know, we, I feel so convicted and impressed this morning because, you know, the easy path of less resistance is just to stay at home. To say, oh, it's raining, it's cloudy. Today's a good day to sleep in. The path that takes intentional prayer, the path that takes for us intentional longing, hunger for God, is saying, no, I need this to nourish my soul. I need to be intentional about my time in prayer. I need to be intentional about my walk with Jesus. And so as fellow believers of Jesus, I believe that each person that's here we all want that and desire that. We want to, to have this communion with God and, and to join together. And so it's just such a, beautiful, such a beautiful experience to have, not just as we gather together and study the Word of God, but also as we come together and just for a few moments, I know that the world around us is chaotic. I know that there's problems at home. I know that there's things that we're dealing with. But just for a few moments, just to bask in God's presence and to ask all the noise that's around us just to pause for a moment and just say, okay, let me, let me come to God's presence this morning and see what He has for me that can nourish my soul. And so once again, as we get started, let us pray one more time as we start this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise your name this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you will come one more time. You would speak through me. And that the words that I speak may be a blessing to those who are hearing. May they penetrate deep, inside of our hearts, may they know that these words come from you. You are, Lord, our God. We surrender before you, and we ask all these things, and the people say, Amen. It was the 10th of June, 1990, in British Airway Flight 111 Series 520FL took off at 7.20 local time per its schedule from Birmingham Airport in England, heading towards Malaga, Spain. It had a total of 81 passengers, four cabin crew, and two flight crew members. The captain of well-known flight 5390, That day was 42-year-old Tim Lancaster, and his co-pilot was 39-year-old Alistair Atchison. The flight had a routine takeoff. Nothing from the extraordinary, nothing out of the ordinary. The pilots who knew how to operate the aircraft, they were confident in handling Everything that needed to be done, the co-pilot Agitson handled the ropes of the takeoff, relinquishing control to Lancaster as the plane established itself in its climb. 
And as the case in normal circumstances, both pilots release their shoulder harnesses. Captain Lancaster loomed and he loosened his lap belt as the flight got steady. They both were so used to flying such an aircraft, they were supremely confident in their route and their skills and the plane stabilized in midair. However, 13 minutes after the takeoff, the plane had reached about 17,000 feet above sea level. The meals were about to be served when the, the flight attendant, Nigel Ogden, was entering the cockpit. When there was a loud bang. And the fuselage, or the main body which holds the crew and the passengers, quickly filled with condensation. Everybody was stunned, imagined, stunned, realizing anything, just shell shocked. And they came back, when they came back to their senses, they saw that the left windshield from the captain's side had broken open. And the rapid decompression propelled Captain Lancaster out of the cockpit, head first. The captain's knees, however, got stuck at the flight controls because his legs were inside of the cockpit while his whole upper body swung out of the plane in the pressure sky. The flight deck door blocked the throttle control due to which the aircraft continued to gain speed during descent. If you were there, what would you wish for? If you were in that same situation, what would you want? Imagine your body being pulled in and sucked into the plane Imagine the decompression and also the condensation filling the cabin of the plane. Most importantly, how would you respond? Today we continue our series entitled Revival and Awakening, a short series about how we can have a heart for Jesus, His church, His kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And as we explored several weeks ago, uh, the first one was when King David, if you recall, he ascended up to the throne. And David knew inside of his heart. He said, I want to make things right. Remember that the Ark of the Covenant had been neglected for 20 years. The presence of God had been removed from Israel. And now King David is ascending to the throne. And he realizes, man, if I want, if I want for my reign to go well, the first thing that I need to do is to seek the presence of God. Because you see, when we seek the presence of God, we seek his blessing. Blessing comes when we seek the presence of God. And so you can, you can uh, write David off in so many ways. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes, the Bible is filled with all of the things. And as we saw last week with uh, Pastor Gene, 
he, he actually gave us a story of one of the things that David did. Uh, and so he, there's several things that he didn't get right. But if one thing we would see from David, if one thing we could take from David and we could say, man, what is that one thing that he got right? I would say the one thing that David got right was seeking the presence of God. As he's coming into power, as he's coming into the throne, he says, you know what? I want to seek the presence of God. Please open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21. As we explore the Word of God this morning, 2 Kings chapter 21, our story begins in chapter 21 when Manasseh was born after Hezekiah had been miraculously healed. Seemingly all that Hezekiah had worked for was reversed by the son Manasseh, later by his grandson Ammon. The extent of his moral degradation is described as surpassing that of the Canaanites whom God had evicted from the land. Are you with me? The Bible reads, starting in verse 2, And he, who is he? Manasseh, did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and serve them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. The first thing that you see here is that Manasseh rebuilt all the high places. He reinstalled these altars, these images, both in the shrines and the temple. He set up altars for this astral cult in both of the priest's court and the outer court. Verse 7 grimly describes Manasseh had also placed a carved image of Asherah in the temple building itself, an action that was in direct opposition to God and his desire to place his name in his temple. At the end of chapter 21, we see that unfortunately things for Judah didn't get any Better. Ammon followed after his father to continue the worst corruption that Judah had ever experienced. The worst corruption that Judah had ever seen. And he forsook the Lord and continued promoting and practicing the idolatry of his father. Ammon only reigned two years before he was tragically killed in a palace plot while his perpetrators were hunted down and killed in a popular backlash. So they put Ammon's eight-year-old son, Josiah, on the throne to replace him. This is the context. This is the scene that we experience and that we see as we open 2 Kings chapter 21. So Josiah is living in a time of heartbreaking decline. 
Josiah has nobody to draw on his family. His grandfather was Manasseh, one of the worst kings of Israel's history. And his father, Ammon, was so godless that he was assassinated by his own servants. We read in 2 Kings chapter 22 that when when Josiah came into power, he was only eight years old when he became king. He had absolutely nothing. He had no redemptive history to pull from. He was just a young boy. And the Bible says, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. That is so significant to me. First of all, because we know that David is not his father. Why does the Bible say, that he walked in all the ways of his father, David. We just read that his father is Ammon. He had a godless father named Ammon, a godless grandfather named Manasseh. So why does the Bible say that he walked in all the ways of his father, David? And I believe it's because he chooses someone who is godly and just. He looks back at history and he says, Oh, This person, this person right there, this one followed God. He sees someone who sought God and and with all of his heart. And he says, this is the type of person that I want to be. And so I ask for us here today, who are the people in your inner circle of influence? Who are the people who are shaping you? Who are the people who are mentoring you? Who are those people that you are around, that you're gleaning from? For Josiah, it was King David, a man after God's own heart. Man, that's so inspirational to me. I want to be around people that are helping me be closer to Jesus. I want to be, I want to, I want the circle of my influence, the people who are around me to be people who are godly, who are people who are kind, who are people who are honest, who are people who are selfless, who emulate the character of Jesus. Because those are people who are so influential in my life. And sooner or later, without us realizing, All the things that we come across with, all the people that we come across to, sooner or later, we become acting like those people as well, whether for good or whether for bad. And the verse ends with the following words, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, speaking of the volumes of his unwavering faithfulness to God. And so this morning, I just want to pause here for a moment and speak to your heart. How a powerful testimony of life, of living with faithfulness. You know, this journey of faith, as we just witnessed this morning with Janice, with Brenda, you know, and others. Everyone starts this journey of faith. How many of us can say, oh, I'm going to be faithful till the end? See, that's, that's the thing. This is so inspirational to me. 
This is just like a model of how I want to live my life. Faithful to God to the end. Not, sh- not shifting to the left, not shifting to the right. You know, whenever I hear gossip or people complaining in the church, I just excuse myself and I say, sorry, I, I cannot be part of this conversation. And I just work myself out. Whenever things are not going the best way as I think fits, instead of complaining, I bring uh, more, instead of acting or saying things that are negative, I bring things that are positive or I bring possible solutions. I'm being part of the, of the, of the answer, not part of the problem. See, these are the things of life. These are the things that we have to wrestle with. But how powerful it is also when we as a church, as parents, and I'll tell you this, we are so privileged to have young people in our church, to have kids, to have young people in our church, because I've been to many churches who don't have any kids, who don't have youth in their church. We are so privileged. And so imagine how powerful it is as we as a church and parents come together and pour into our kids' biblical knowledge. It's just so wonderful. Every time I see Adam here reciting his verse, man, it's just awesome. You know, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Those words resonate with me this morning. Let no one despise your youth. Just because they're kids, it doesn't mean that they cannot love God with all their hearts. You know, I I think that many times we have this condescending tone or we have this belittling tone. Oh, they're just kids. No, God help us. I know that most of us as adults looking back, we probably wish that things were different or we probably wish that an adult came along our way and instead of, instead of tearing us down, would be lifting us up, building us up. Because we as kids, and we had a conversation today with the youth when we were in our class. It's so crazy. 10, 20 years ago, Things happened to us when we were kids and we still remember those things that were said to us. How beautiful it would be that we could pour into our kids this biblical knowledge. We are fortunate to have kids' ministries that are focused into the next generation and teaches children about God. Josiah is eight years old when he begins to seek the Lord and has a heart for God. Man, that's so powerful. Investing in our children, pouring into our children, being their friends. You think those kids don't have pressures, that they don't face a lot of challenges? Join me in the back youth uh, classroom. There's a lot of things that they experience that we don't know about. We need to pray for our kids. We need to be intentional about the prayer and the things that that they are experiencing and be sensitive to those needs. And uh, 
I find that so, so interesting. Eight years old, pouring into that. I know that uh, we are working with Julie and others. We want to do something special for our kids this summer and, and, and really invest in our kids and pour in on our kids. How beautiful it would be our church putting our kids not just front and center, but making them the priority of our church. Because I'll tell you, they're not the future. They're the present of our church. They're the present of our church. And so let's be intentional about that. Pouring into our, our kids. What I find so interesting is that Josiah is someone who is receptive and open to God as the true God in a culture of idols. It's so easy to follow God. It's so easy to do the right things when everything's going well. But when Josiah is being faithful to God, he's being faithful to God when all the current, when all the flow, when everything is going against him. In a culture of idols. Remember, it was a time of decline in Judah. The northern kingdom was in ruins. There was a sense of hopelessness. You could just breathe and sense that there's, this thing is on its way out. Yet, Josiah doesn't say, oh, there's nothing I can do. If the ship's going to go down, let it go down. He determines in his heart that he is going to see God, the father of his father, David. And in a time of decline, it only takes a person with a heart to create a ripple, to see a move of God in redemptive time. I believe it. It only takes one person to create a difference, to be a sphere of influence and to say, you know what? When everything is hard, when everything is rough, when, when, when everything is bad, it only takes one person to create the difference and the ripple that is needed for the ship to go into another direction. Josiah begins his reform, and the Bible says that he went up to the high places. In the past, Israel had several godly kings. However, just as we read Hezekiah, right? Whenever they would reform, they would not tear down the high places. They would leave them in stumbling uh, ruins or its stumbling blocks and they would become stumbling blocks for the next generation to discover so josiah tears down these altars he tears down the instruments of baal he gets the bone of the priests and he grinds them up to dust so that they cannot be used as relics to revive pagan and godless idolatry He goes through the whole land and tears these things down to the ground. The Bible says that he went all the way up north to Samaria and he tore all these things down. And Josiah goes to the temple and he wants to repair it. So he takes all the resources that were given to him as king and he repairs the temple of the Lord, which is in total disrepute. There's a pagan priest there functioning, and he clears them out. And while he's there, one of his men says, we found a book. 
So they come across what intertextually scholars believe is the book of Deuteronomy, which describes the results of breaking the covenant of God and what would happen. And he's being confronted with this reality. And of course, he's in total despair, right? But notice his response when they discover the word of the Lord. When he realizes that they, have been, that they haven't been obeying the covenant, that they have not been faithful to God. When he comes close to this encounter, with this God encounter, with this divine encounter, when he realizes, whoa, we've got this wrong. His first move is to reinstitute the Passover which had not been celebrated, chronologically speaking, close to 400 years. He calls the people to turn to the Lord, to make vows before the Lord. Josiah realizes that they failed the Lord, that they failed the Lord, and he's in terrible straits before God and goes into this wholehearted repentance. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't try to rationalize it. Well, you know, it's not my fault. I didn't have a godly father. I didn't have a godly grandfather either. He doesn't cast blame on events. He doesn't cast blames, blame on others. His response is immediate and wholehearted repentance. Unfortunately, the tragedy of our culture today as a theologian, John Dibdahl says, and he describes is that many seek to avoid repentance, repentance by excusing their problem. They find ways to rationalize and lessen its seriousness. And they shift blame to some person or event in the past. Such individuals play the victim and escape personal responsibility. They do everything possible to avoid reality, even though the lie they live will inevitably lead to disillusionment. The two ingredients that you see in the story of Josiah are that he has a seeking heart and that he has a responsive heart. He has a seeking heart and he has a responsive heart. That's receptive to God. And he uses his influence. Check this out. He uses his influence, not for his own throne, but to bring the people back to God. More than that, he uses his influence to bend the whole nation back towards the Lord. And here is where Jim read, where it's recorded in the Chronicles the repetition of the story of Israel, where we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verses 29, as he's gathering all the people together. 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 29, it says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people, great and small, 
and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place. He made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. And with all of his heart and his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take stand. So the inhabitants of of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and God and the God of their fathers. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. And check this out. In all his days, they did not depart from following the Lord of their fathers. Through this story, we learn the importance of seeking God. We learn the importance of seeking the Lord and having a responsive heart, a heart that is receptive to God. In a culture that's full of distractions, of idols, of things that alienate us and separate us from God, we must ask ourselves, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do in this time of history? And what does it look like? What do you, as, as you do this introspection in your heart this morning, as you walked in this morning, I would say, what does seeking the Lord look like? What, what does having a receptive heart look like, a responsive heart? And I would say seeking God looks more like coming before Him, opening His Word, being honest, humbling yourself before Him. It's to call on the name of the Lord and to say, Please, God, if you want to manifest yourself in the life of a person, here I am. To see God is to be right covenantally with the Lord and to repent with wholehearted repentance. So I ask, what are some things that you are still struggling with in your own spiritual walk with God? What's that sin that you are still struggling with? What's that idol? What's that distraction? What are those high places that you have built in your journey towards Jesus? What is that one thing that you've been struggling with for a long, long, long time? It could be that you like this sin. It's not a struggle. It's a stronghold at this point. It's probably a generation, a a multi-generational high place that you know about, but you have purposely ignored for far too long. You're coming to church, you're seeking God, but internally you know that there are still high places deep inside of you, areas in your life that are keeping you at bay with God. What are those things? So this morning I ask, how is your heart? How is your heart? 
If you were to do an inventory of your heart, is your heart receptive to God? Or is your heart dull, numb, indifferent? One of the things that Josiah provokes in me and provokes in us is that when he had new insight regarding that he was at a step or in disalignment with God, he responded with the following words, Let no stone be unturned. Friends, if we want to change the culture of our church, if we want great things to take place, if we want revival and awakening to take place in our church, then it has to start with me. We have to be people who internalize the words of Jesus, seek and respond to the heart of God. Reminds us last week, Pastor Gene, having a broken, broken heart. But it's the only way that it works. Instead of expecting change from others, oh, I'm going to change if that person changes. Oh, this person's not doing it right. I, I feel like I need to tell this person it's not doing it right. Let's do an internal Let's do an internal inventory of our heart first. I would, I would sincerely ask that you would first look inside of your hearts before telling others the things that they're not doing right. Look into your heart and ask yourself how I am with God. Because remember, if we want meaningful change, it has to start with me. I am the ripple. I am the ripple that creates change. In the words of Paul, he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. In the Roman Empire, crucifixion was a violent death. It was applied mostly to slaves, to those disgraced soldiers, to foreigners. But for us, as modern Christians, what are the things in my life that I need to put to death? What are the things in my life that I need to put to death? that I have ignored for a long time. I know they're there. But I'm not willing to go inside of my heart and like Josiah, let no stone be unturned. I'm not willing to turn that stone. So my prayer for you is that you'll enter intimacy with God. That you'll have a heart that's seeking and receptive to respond to the call of God leading you to complete and wholehearted repentance. Lord, give us a heart like Josiah. Give us a heart like Josiah that is receptive, that's seeking, that is responsive. After co-pilot Atchison realized that the plane was not equipped to provide oxygen for all the people on board, he began a rapidly emergent descent 
to reach an altitude where there was oxygen. And he re-engaged the autopilot, which had become temporarily disabled, and broadcast a distress call to the nearby airport traffic control. Ogden, still holding on to Lancaster, was by now developing frostbite and exhaustion. Lancaster has shifted several centimeters further outside and his face was bloodied repeatedly, striking the side of the fuselage while his eyes were wide and sightless. Meanwhile, Atchison established a connection with the ATC to land at the Southampton Airport. Thankfully, the plane landed and the passengers disembarked using the boarding steps. And there were no other major injuries. Captain Lancaster and Ogden, after a few weeks at the hospital, recovered. Upon further investigation, information came to light, and it was discovered that 27 hours before the flight took off, the plane was sent for servicing purposes. And the employees working there had used undersized bolts to fix the windshield. As expected, when the flight took off, the undersized bolts were unable to withstand the air pressure difference between the cabin and the outside atmosphere during the flight. And the windshield opened instantly, injuring Captain Lancaster and Ogden. Imagine you were in that plane. What would you have wanted in that moment? Would you want gear? Would you want food? No. You would want to know that everything is going to be okay. You would want to know that the plane is going to land safely and that you will be able to step out safely from that plane. The same is true for us today. Whether you feel like the turbulent pressure closing in this morning, you feel maybe the cabin pressure feels like it's coming down on you and you're running out of oxygen. Or maybe, just maybe, you feel like the cabin pressure is closing in There's no oxygen. I can't breathe. It's too much. There's a saying that that we say, when it rains, it pours. Maybe it's just too much. And you're coming in this morning with this heaviness, this heaviness, carrying in your shoulders. However you feel, I want you to know that the same God of Josiah It's the same God of ancient times that calls you today and is ready to pour out a window of grace and love and repentance upon you and give you a heart that is seeking and and responds to Him. So this morning, what will it be? How will you respond? Will you have a heart like Josiah? Will you be receptive to his call? Whatever it is, you can know that God is there with you.
and he will receive you and he will embrace you with compassion and love. Shall we stand as we sing our last song this morning? We are longing, Lord, to serve you. Lord, as we have just sung, our desire, our posture, we want to have that heart that's responsive, that's receptive, that's seeking God. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, where we never leave your presence, always be around us. And so, Lord, continue to be with us the rest of this day and for this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.